Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello, my name is Kate Hudson Hall, and thank you for listening to Bulimia Sucks because it does. So, these are real stories from people who are suffering or have suffered an eating disorder. And it's a platform for people to share relatable, uplifting, and inspiring conversations based on bulimia and anorexia and other eating disorders and their victories and their challenges. So episodes will include their personal stories of where they are now and their difficult journeys and their steps taken into recovering from their eating disorder. Now, our guest today is Megan, and she's joining us today to share how she has lived with mental illness for over a decade now having been diagnosed with depression and binge eating disorder. Recovery from binge eating disorder is very different from other forms of eating disorders, as it was only diagnosed in 2013. But Megan will go on and tell us more about that. Um, So Megan is a goal-setting, barrier-breaking, purpose-pursuing force of passionate energy. She's a certified life coach, therapeutic arts coach, and fierce mental health advocate. She helps others who have experienced mental health challenges reconnect with their authentic self so they can rock their goals. Negative self-taught and fear are the most common causes stopping us from going after our big, scary, amazing goals. Megan teaches how to shut down destructive thinking and manage fear, allowing you to live your purpose every day. So let me welcome Megan. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Fabulous to have you here. (laughs) I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on the show so now binge eating disorder so where to begin I think many 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 people have this problem and so tell us so tell us about your journey yeah well like you said many people have it and a lot of people won't realize they have binge eating disorder it's actually the most common eating disorder worldwide my journey with binge eating disorder in hindsight began in high school. I didn't realize something was wrong with my relationship with food until my first year of university. But looking back, I realized some of the symptoms, some of the signs began while I was still in high school and it began slowly and it built up to become a completely life controlling purpose destroying uh, problem in my life. But 
I really, really didn't really know how I was going to fix it um, until recently. So my doctor in the early days, she focused more on my depression because I do have depression as well as binge eating disorder. And so that was one of the first barriers I had into finding help for my binging disorders because the focus was always on the depression. On top of that, back when I first went to her and said, I, I think I have an eating disorder, binge eating disorder wasn't even a diagnosable thing because it wasn't in the, the DSM five or the DSM four, I think it would have been then, um, which is the diagnostic tool that our healthcare teams around the world use to diagnose mental health conditions. Right. So I couldn't even be really diagnosed with the right eating disorder until 2013, like you had mentioned. So that was a really rocky journey as I am noticing that something is wrong with my food or something is wrong with my relationship with my food, I should say. And And what were you noticing? The time where it became really noticeable, that was a problem was back in my first year of university. I was in a relationship with somebody from my hometown. I had moved for university. And so we were doing the long distance thing and we would often just video chat while we were doing stuff. So he would be playing video games and I'd be working on a paper or doing whatever. And so we weren't really talking much, but I was working and all of a sudden I got a message from him just saying, stop eating the M&Ms. Because apparently for the past hour, all I had been doing was just, I had a bag of M&Ms because I bought bought them from the bulk section, was just constantly putting M&Ms in my mouth and I didn't even realize I was doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that was the first realization that I was like, whoa, like I'm, I'm not even really aware of, of what I'm doing. I knew I was eating food in unhealthy ways. I knew that I was eating way too much food. I knew that I was feeling out of control with my food, but that was sort of the first moment where I went, Oh, Oh, this isn't, this isn't right. This is a problem. Right. And it escalated from there. Binge eating disorder is typically defined as a period of about a minimum of two hours where you are binging, where you are eating food, not for the purpose of fueling your body, not for the purpose of, you know, relieving hunger because you are eating beyond the point of feeling full. I actually, in my journey, forgot, well, not really forgot, but I, I, my brain couldn't recognize the signs of being full anymore because I had just Mm. binged for so long, so many times. And I can remember years later, the first time I felt full, I was like, I'm full. Like, that's so exciting. Um, because yeah, it had been years since I had felt full and you eat beyond the point of feeling sick. Like there were so many times where I felt so sick because I was eating so much and I'm, I'm not binging on vegetables. I'm eating cake. I'm eating cookies. I'm eating chocolate. I'm eating sugar. So you're not giving your body good foods. You're giving your body foods to numb with. Yeah. And I would feel so sick because I'm eating these foods and I still couldn't stop eating them. Yeah. And so 
oftentimes my binging episodes, it was like I would black out during them and I would kind of just wake up the next morning and see the the garbage of what I had eaten, right? The food wrappers around my apartment. And you don't remember. I didn't really. I mean, I, I knew I binged. I just didn't remember like the details. I didn't remember what was going on. I didn't, I just, I just kind of black out during them. And I, uh, yeah, I would just feel so much guilt and shame afterwards and try to clean up all the, the evidence and go about my day and try to make it different, be different today. And then sure enough, again, around four or five, sometimes three, two, one in the afternoon, I'd binge again. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's not a pretty journey as no eating disorder is a pretty journey, let's be honest. And it's, it's not easy and it's really full of shame and guilt. Um, and it's awful. It's not something I would wish on anybody. And I think so many people have it. Like you said, they don't know that they have it. You know, they know that they can't control what they're eating. Um, but it's about addressing, you know, the reasons, isn't it, about why you're reaching out for the food. You know, I know I'm not hungry for this food. So what feelings am I trying to change? That's what I advise yeah. my clients. One of the first bits of, you know, how to start tackling and trying to get into recovery with my binge eating disorder that I got from my favorite counselor to this day, he is still the favorite, my favorite counselor I've ever had (laughs) um, was, okay, if you, I was very much more aware of my binge eating disorder at this point, I had started doing research. I was starting to talk about my mental illness a lot more. So it was, it was a different mindset. I was very much aware when I was binging, I was, I was aware of what was going on. I understood sort of why and, and, and how this was happening. And so he'd say, you know, if, if you are feeling that desire to binge, give yourself an hour, you know, push through that hour. If you can make it to the hour, you can, you know, it's, it's kind of a decision, you know, can you keep going or, you know, you tried and just, he was really focused on letting go of the guilt and shame that came with it. So he said, if you reach the hour and you, you can't let go of that guilt, essentially, like you, you're okay. Like it's, yeah, it's not the best thing. Like, it's not like he's giving me permission to have an eating disorder, but it was essentially like giving me permission to binge without guilt because I tried that first step. Like I tried, I, I, I went through an hour of really sort of making sure I was making a conscious decision. And it sounds so counterintuitive when I talk it out loud sometimes, but it was really powerful to just have made a conscious decision on whether or not I was going to go. Cause it, I mean, I didn't stock up on binge food. I would have to go shopping every time I binge and I would be buying 50, 60, 70, sometimes a hundred dollars worth of food in a night. And I would eat it all that night Um, so it was that just making that conscious decision of, okay, yes, I'm going to go get food, but I'm not going to feel guilt and shame about it was the first step of really making progress towards recovery for me. Um, that, that was the first, like, okay, just like give myself the acceptance and understanding and patience and love to get through this and, and give myself the permission to do what I need to do in this moment to survive. Yes. So you saw a number of different therapists then? 
then what happened? I, interestingly, it's all tied to my move. So I was working with him for a while. I can't remember why we ended our, our like therapy relationship. Um, I think I was in a much better place, not really fully healed, but I felt more in control. Sometimes I like to just pretend like I was doing so much better and I'd be fine. And yes, we don't need to work together anymore. It was probably more like I had, you know, run out of money on my healthcare and, mm-hmm was just couldn't afford therapy anymore yeah, yeah eventually not long after that a few months after that I ended up moving across the country for a job and that move sort of gave me a chance to like reset my life it was it was like hitting a reset button because everything had changed you know my location changed I was no longer with you know my friends or family I only knew one person in Toronto when I moved there and it was a brand new job and a brand new environment. And that kind of put me in my first place of recovery. It wasn't perfect. There were still a lot of lingering side effects from the binge eating disorder. So I, because you're eating copious amounts of sugar and carbohydrates, those foods are very addictive. Yeah. So even though it was this weird point where I'm like, I know this isn't a binge, but I'm also eating really bad foods because I was addicted to them. Essentially. I couldn't sort of stop myself from going for like the chocolate or the sugar candies, but I was very much aware that this wasn't the same sort of behavior as my binge eating disorder. So I considered myself in a place of recovery. It wasn't perfect. My eating choices, my eating habits were not, not good. Um, but mental health wise, eating disorder wise, I was in a better place. And so that was around 2017 where I was like, I think, I think this is, this is recovery. I'm going to say this is recovery. And I got to be in that spot for, for a couple of years. But then in 2019, I had a really, really bad year. Um, to the point where I would do 2020 over again before I would do 2019 over again. That's how bad it was. Oh my God. (laughs) And I relapsed. I relapsed in the fall of 2019 and I relapsed hard. Um, And so I, I had to sort of ask for help again in a different city with different doctors and that's when I got my official diagnosis as well. That's, that's when I did say, okay, I think it's time for me to, to get an official diagnosis and was starting to get help with it and was starting to put together a recovery plan. Mm. And then a global health pandemic oh, came in God. and shut down all of our healthcare systems basically and completely derailed that. So that was fun. Mm. She says completely sarcastically for those <laughs> who can't pick up on that tone. Um, and, and eventually I, I did move back, back home. I left Toronto for the West coast. Again, I moved in with my family and now it's not easy. I've, I've had weeks where I slip up still, but I'm in the best place of recovery that I've ever been. I'm in yeah. the best relationship with food that I've ever had. Wow. Even be before my eating disorder. And I'm, I'm actually starting to see real progress and change and it's exciting for me but it's also so new because it's it's nothing I've never I'm, I'm almost 30 I turned 30 this year 
and I've never known this. <laughs> oh, wow. So what is this? So essentially I gave myself my own recovery plan for my binge eating disorder. Like I said, I moved back in with my parents and I do the cooking for my family. So I work with food now in a sense, like it's not actually work. It's not paid work, but I, I do the cooking and I cook things from scratch and I explore new recipes and I, I pay attention to the ingredients because I also know that I'm not just nourishing me. I'm nourishing my family. I'm nourishing the ones that I care for. And, and mm-hmm. it's a way where I can show my family love. And so food is no longer a numbing tool. Food is no longer a, you know, something that I, I can't control around, but food is a gift that I'm giving the people that I love. And that includes myself. And so I get to learn new ingredients. I get to learn about how certain foods play a role within our body. So for example, my mom and I, we often deal with a lot of inflammation in our bodies. And so I know that turmeric is very anti-inflammatory. So how can I incorporate more turmeric into our diet is an exploration I get to do and, and play with different ways of making the ingredients sing together to create beautiful flavors. Um, while still healing us and, and healing our bodies. And I am exercising in healthy ways. There was a period in my binge eating disorder where I so desperately, I essentially wanted, I wished I had anorexia. It, it sounds so messed up, but that's just how messed up an eating disorder brain works is that I wished so badly that I had had anorexia that I tried to force myself to be anorexic. So I would wake up and decide not to eat that I was not going to eat and I would go and I would work out lots. I would go to the gym. Of course, come four or five o'clock, I'd break and I'd binge. It, it was a very dangerous cycle to be in for a period there. But now I'm working out and I'm exercising for fun and to strengthen my body. I started running again. I, I used to really enjoy running. I loved the feeling of crossing the finish line of a 10 K and it's no longer a chore. Like I run when I want to, if I, I I don't feel obsessive or compulsive about having to run. It's not like if I'm, if I don't go running this day, the world's not going to end. Like I'm not going to be completely off. I can go again tomorrow or when I feel like it, I went for my first hike since uh, my, my relapse just on Monday and it felt incredible. It was a journey. I did not Uh, there was so I was battling my mind so much on that hike. There were so many times where my, my, what I like to call my inner saboteur was telling me that I can't do this, that my body cannot make it up this mountain, that I don't belong on this mountain. I'm too fat to be on this mountain. Um, You know, other people are judging me. I'm breathing heavily. And they think that, you know, what is like, I I was Hmm. part of me, all of those negative thoughts all of those negative thoughts, all of those lies that my inner saboteur was telling myself. And so to get to the top of that mountain and see, I I live in a beautiful area and we had a gorgeous view of the lake and the town. And it just, it felt so good to be eating better, to be in a respectful and loving and nourishing relationship with food, to be moving my body for fun and for joy and not because I'm desperately trying to lose weight and 
to actually accomplish these things, to, to see progress in my running, to make it to the top of the mountain. Granted, my body then was so sore for the next, still today, I'm sore. <laughs> this was on, I think I went hiking Monday and I'm still like, can I move my legs? I don't know, but I'll get there. And it's not setting me back and I'm not talking down on myself for it. It's, it's a progress. It's a journey. And I'm really happy with the journey that I'm currently on, which Amazing. is a nice change of pace. <laughs> Amazing. What about the urges to binge? They still come. Right. And what do you do about that? It varies from day to day. You know, sometimes I still, I won't lie. Sometimes I still give in to them. Uh, I, I've still had moments of struggle, even though I'm in this beautiful, beautiful spot right now, but I don't let those moments derail me. I don't let those moments bring me down. I don't start to hate on myself for them. I accept that it's a journey and, and I am very aware of them and and cautious of them. I'm not binging the amounts that I used to at all. You know, sometimes it's okay. I'll try like Easter was really hard for me because I love mini eggs and Cadbury cream eggs. Love them. Um, They were when Easter would come around who it was just purple garbage all over my apartment from the mini eggs. And I, you know, once in a while, yeah, I would end up, I would just buy one or two Cadbury cream eggs and, and try to satisfy that binge urge with just that. And then there was this really beautiful moment where I was watching TV with my parents and my mom was just like absolutely going like, Oh, I could go for some cake right now. And I, without even realizing that I was saying it was such like a dead, like almost scary tone. It was just like, I could go for some mini eggs and her light bulb went off. She said, Oh my God, I forgot that you, you struggle with mini eggs. And, and because I do the cooking, I do the grocery shopping for the most part for the family. Right. And she, I forgot that that's, that's a, a problem for you. I will do the grocery shopping until Easter's over without like just this beautiful moment of love and care and protection for me. And so now when I, when I do have that desire to go binging, I remember that moment and that. Oh yes. Yeah. That's pure, pure motherly love that she showed me in that moment. And I just remember I'm, I'm not doing this just for me anymore. I'm doing it for my family and for my future as well. Yeah. And I think that's great to keep reminding yourself of that moment to empower you forward. Yeah. 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 Wow. It sounds like you're doing so well now. It's a nice change of pace. Like I said, it's been 30 years. I I don't know this feeling. This is, this is not a normal experience for me. My life has been defined essentially by disordered eating and depression for 10 years. And to not have that be the definitive life controlling thing, for me, right? That was that was all I had in me was this struggle. And all I could do was try to manage it. Even when I was in that place of recovery before, it took so much of myself to stay in it as best as I could. Absolutely. Absolutely. That I couldn't enjoy life. I couldn't focus on the other things that I really wanted to do with my life. And that's what it feels like. It's just so engulfing. You know, I had anorexia and bulimia for 15 years and I was just engulfed in this mm-hmm. this bubble and like you've got windows and they're dirty and you can just about see out and see what else everybody else is doing but you can't you, you can't even reach out you're just so 
absorbed in that yeah. bubble. You can play pretend because you need everybody to think everything is normal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good actress. But, we are. Oh, <laughs> oh, you want a good actress? You should hire people <laughs> with mental illness, man. Like <laughs> we have, we have played our roles to a T for years. Um, yeah. Especially like, cause we, we have to keep jobs. We have to still function in society to an extent. And yet we're still so badly trying to hide our illness that especially right with binge eating disorder, we, we get really conscious of people seeing us eat. Like we don't eat in front of people. <laughs> that, that is a scary thing because again, that, you know, inner dialogue of people judging us will, will start to come into play. Hmm. But yeah. So like maintaining this, like, Oh yeah, I eat fine. I eat healthy. I'm good. I, I, I'm all good and I'm still at work and I can function as a normal human being, but then I can go home and just be myself and like let go and, and not worry about that and completely derail into eating disorder life. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's not pretty. So where are you now? So you're back living at home and with regards to your work. So tell us about that. Well, um, it was an interesting journey with work because I actually, when I was still in university, I started my first business and it was a goal coaching business because I had done an internship at Lululemon. I was going to school for public relations for communications work and Lululemon is really, really big on, on goals. And so that's where I sort of was first introduced to it. It's so interesting because the Lululemon part of my life was so pivotal for two reasons. One, Lululemon was a great place to work. And I was still so depressed and so within my eating disorder. This was 2013. And this was actually what inspired me to go on my antidepressant was because Lululemon was such a great environment and I was still struggling so much. And it was the sign to me that I, I, I have a real problem and I can't do it alone. I need some support and help. So Lululemon kind of gave me that in a weird way. And it kind of gave me goals. It gave me this path of, of supporting others and building these beautiful lives using goals and visioning as a tool to create the life we want. But like I said, it was an internship. I think I was 22. Um, so when I first tried goal coaching, when I was first a goal coach and doing this while I was still in the depths of my mental illness, I quickly realized, you know what, maybe, maybe now is not like, I, I maybe shouldn't be a life coach, a goal coach when a, I'm so young and B, I'm so not okay. Yeah. So I continued my PR path and grew my PR career. When I was in Toronto, I ended up, well, I eventually became a freelancer. I, I be, did start my own business again um, and was really enjoying it until the pandemic hit and PR freelancing became really hard to do when you work with small businesses and nonprofits who have to cut costs. Yeah. And I lost all my clients uh-huh. and it was a really reflective moment because I would, had already been thinking about change. I ultimately want to become a mental health counselor. I want to go back to school, get my master's degree and, and be able to be a therapist for others. But I was thinking back a lot on my goal coaching days and I took a few certifications and now I've restarted my coaching. I'm, I'm now a life coach, including a therapeutic art coach, because how cool is that? Mm-hmm. I, 
yeah, moved to BC as I was restarting this career for myself again. And I'm loving every minute of it. Now I get to work with people who've experienced mental health challenges like I have, yeah. who have come through this journey and have struggled with that lack of identity like I did that like we were talking about mental illness and mental health challenges, they can be all consuming and you are acting and you are playing a part and nothing else in your life really matters or exists. So when you get through that, when you have sort of control again, I was left with this question of, okay, who am I? Yes. Yes. Right. Like who am I really when, when this is all said and done, what do I have? And that journey of rediscovering yourself your authentic self and rediscovering what you want for your life when mental health challenges, when mental illness aren't defining it. It's a a beautiful discovery, isn't it? It's a whole new pathway. There's a whole lot of possibility in it. And I love working with people to help them discover that sense of possibility and start to build what it is they want. And that that sense of purpose, that vision I have for my life. Like I had said earlier, when, when I am thinking about binging, when some of those urges come up again, I think about what my mom had done for me, what my family has done for me. And I think about my future. I think about the kid that I actually want one day. I think about, um, you know, the life that I want to build. I think about that vision I have for myself. Yeah. And I hold on to it tight and, and I, I get through it. It's what gets me through. Yeah. It's having that vision and mm-hmm. having those goals and then keep reminding yourself, hang on, this is where I, this is the direction that I want to go in. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've got to stay focused on that and that picture, that image of me in the future. Yeah. yeah I love it. Exactly. It's wow. really beautiful. You've come so far, Megan. It's amazing. amazing. It's not been easy. And it's, like I said, it's been over 10 years, which is a third yeah. of my life. So uh, it's, but it's, it's so worth being on the other side. Cause there are several times where I did not think I would make it. Yeah. And I'm so happy I did. Mm-hmm. So where can, where can people find you, Megan? Yeah. So I am known as the Sequoia Life in the digital internet space. Uh, my website's thesequoialife.com. But the best, best place to find me and connect with me is the Sequoia Fam Gem community I have built over on Facebook. We are there. We exist to support one another in our goals and living in our purpose. We also have a book club, which is really awesome. We have one hour group coaching sessions once a month that are really fun. And that is... So that's all online. All online, all on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm excited about your future. Thank you. I am too. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Oh, well, thank you. That's really kind of you for joining us and sharing your journey. Thank you for having me. And thank you for your platform because honestly, if we aren't talking about mental health challenges, if we aren't talking about eating disorders, nothing is going to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, you know, this is what we've got to do. We've got to get out there, get, get people talking about it, spread the word. 
to make those changes. Mm. Okay, good. So that's all for today's episode of Bulimia Sucks. And thanks for listening. And join us again on the next episode of Bulimia Sucks. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes so you never miss an episode. Plus, if you haven't already heard about it, check out my book, Bulimia Sucks on Amazon and learn many different techniques to help you to begin to break through your painful bulimic behaviors. And if you like the book, oh, it'd be great if you left a review. And just before we go, show some love to your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you come and join our Facebook page, Bulimia Sucks, if you haven't already. And come and uh, come and talk with us and that would be so it'd be great to hear from you so thanks for joining and I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode bulimia sucks but you don't Kate has just released a new best-selling book called anxiety hacks with proven techniques tools and tips to calmness check it out now on amazon 